0: Father, I pray that this morning we'd remember that, that uh, all the chaos that surrounds us, that, that you are with us. So, so as difficult as things can be, we can rely on you. As wonderful as things can be, it's because you're with us. Lord, remind us of that today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. <clears throat> Take your Bibles, go to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 26. We 'll get there in just a quick second. I want to um, well, it seems appropriate first to <laughs> It was a crazy weekend. How 's that? You want to know how crazy it was? We still have porta potties outside. that 's when you know you 've been to a good party. Um, it was a fantastic night, Friday night. Um, we warned you as far ahead of time as we could that we thought that it might sell out, and whoa, hey, look, it sold out, which is insane. Um, the concert itself was an encouragement. It was enjoyable. It was fun. Yeah, there's lessons learned, but that's okay. That's, that's part of doing something for the first time. Um, everybody was saved. I did not have to uh, get up and sing, so there was no problems there. It was a little touch and go there for a little while because you know, I was willing to step in if they needed me. Um, But all in all, it was a wonderful night. It was a wonderful night for an incredible, I'll call it a charity, but it's not a charity. It's a ministry. Every child is worthy. If you don't know about it, you're going to keep hearing about it. We're going to encourage you to keep looking it up. It's the reminder that every child that is born, every child that is conceived, is created in the image of God and is worthy of dignity. And so that's what we celebrated together in some special ways on Friday night. Um... It was just a fun, fun weekend. There are some very tired people here, even with today being the greatest holiday of the calendar year. Is it not? I mean, it's amazing. Um, there's some tired folk, and so thank you for stepping up. Thank you for coming and helping. Um, weather-wise, God put his hand right over this place. It rained like crazy, shocker. We haven't seen that at all in the last few months. Um, but, but God protected us, and the roads that needed to stay open stayed open, and people got home, and so we're thankful for that. It was just a, it was a great night. God's doing some wonderful things. And as a church family, what we want to do is celebrate those things and then take full advantage of those things to continue to share the gospel. And I can't get into all the details. It wasn't a uh, very public—actually, st- there was. There were moments of an incredible gospel being shared during that concert, Um, I was going to say that, was, but it did. It was there. Um, Other places it happened, you would be completely unaware of during the day. Um, Blacksons and, and I were talking this morning, and there's one in particular we're excited about. We're watching God do something amazing, how God has already allowed us to plant a seed, and the next step is to water it, and let's see what happens. And we're praying that we see someone come to know Jesus as a result of what started on Friday, plugging cables in. So... We're excited about that. Uh, A couple quick announcements. That was a really long introduction for announcements. I cannot believe I'm about to push this button, but watch this. Ah, it's Christmas. Um, Ladies, Christmas tea is coming up on Saturday, December 1st. We want to encourage you to get signed up for that. Uh, You can sign up out in the lobby today. You can sign up online at utown.org. It's December 1st. And then the other one we're excited about, Operation Christmas Child Boxes. We announced it last week, the boxes disappeared, that's a good sign, we just need them to come back and now filled full, okay? Um, when you bring your boxes in, you can. we had a couple starting up here, you can just bring them on up to the platform, we will load this thing up next week and then we will get them out for delivery so you can be, be working in those things. The reason we do these things isn't because we're bored and we have nothing else to do, the reason we do these things is because it provides us an opportunity to share the gospel. As a church, what we want to be is a place that is known for sharing the gospel, That's our passion. We want to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to love God more than we love anyone or anything else. And then we want to turn around and love others the best way we can. And the best way we can love other people is by telling them about how much God loves them. And so that's what we want to be about. And so any opportunity we have to to not improve our legacy, but to shine the light on the gospel, we want to take advantage of that. However, go figure, what's a legacy? That's how I want to start this. What's a legacy? When you think about a legacy, what do you want your legacy to be? As an individual, as a family, as a person, as a businessman, uh, whatever you are, wh- what do you want to be? What, what do you want to leave as your legacy? A legacy defined as something you will leave behind that will benefit others long after you are gone, whether it be a, an object, uh, an idea, a movement. What, uh, what do you want your legacy to be? What is your legacy currently? I mean, a simpler definition of legacy is something you're remembered for. So here's a terrifying exercise. Think back to when you were in high school what is your legacy from high school? What is your legacy from elementary school? I'll share a little just to make sure you know you're not alone on this one. Um, My legacy in my family for quite a while was being uh, a daredevil. Now, not my family like my wife and kids because I've learned since then that all I do is sleep and I hurt myself, so I can't be a daredevil anymore. But back in the day, I decided that I was going to jump my dirt bike, my BMX dirt bike off of a picnic table I was in third or fourth grade and I thought this was the greatest idea ever and so I loaded my dirt bike, my BMX bike up on the top of the picnic table and I got round up and I got up on top of that thing and and what I hadn't figured out as a young person is that A, there's not a lot of length there to get a lot of speed, right? I mean you go pedal, pedal, you're off the picnic table. But the other thing I hadn't figured out is that as a youngster I wasn't quite strong enough to get the lift that I needed on the front and so you know what happened. Pedal, pedal, nose down over the handlebars, mouthful of dirt, and about two hours later, I remember laying in my bed. My older sister had been watching the whole thing out the window, thought it was hilarious, called my mom to give her a play by play while it was happening instead of stopping me because she is indeed evil, okay? <laughs> She came down and got me up out of the dirt, and, and I was conscious. I just don't remember any of it, so I believe that might have been my first concussion of a few, um, and, and I woke up, and I had, when I woke up in my bed, I still remember, like, man, my lips hurt, and why does my mouth taste like dirt? The last thing I remember is going over, so they, they, I became a, a daredevil. That became my legacy. Legacies are found in history. Legacies are found in traditions. Legacies are often found in tombstones across the United States of America. If you look at somebody's tombstone, it'll give you an idea of how they want to be remembered, which actually some of these are wonderful. So I want to share a few of my favorite tombstones that I found in my research. This one is in Cople Creek, Colorado, and here is the legacy that this man lives with. He called Bill Smith a liar. That is on his tombstone, or perhaps how about this one? Underneath this pile of stones lies all that's left of Sally Jones. Her name was Briggs. It was not Jones, but Jones was used to rhyme with stones. A so good one down there in New York, Uniontown, Pennsylvania. I got all excited when I saw this. I'm like, "Ooh!" Oh no, Pennsylvania. That's okay. Here lies the body of Jonathan Blake. He stepped on the gas instead of the brake. <laughs> this one near Albany's pretty good. Harry Edsel Smith, born 1903, died 1942. He looked up the elevator shaft to see if the car was on the way down. It was. Um, some of them are mean. So, Anna Wallace, the children of Israel wanted bread, the Lord sent them manna. Old clerk Wallace wanted a wife, and the devil sent him Anna. (laughs) Yeah, this one, yeah, I'll let you decide how mean it is. Tears cannot restore her, therefore I weep. That's one of those slow ones, like, oh, no honey, I would never put that on yours. <laughs> Here lies Ezekiel Akel, age 102, the good die young. <laughs> and there's, here's, here's a great one: Revenge for the Ladies up in Burlington, Vermont. She lived with her husband for 50 years and died with a confident hope of a better life. <laughs> <laughs> legacies are great this one, this one just made me giggle I think it's a good one to end here Here lies the body of our Anna done to death by a banana it wasn't the fruit that laid her low but the skin of the thing that made her go um, so legacies can be found all over the place right? I mean you go to these cemeteries these, and you see them on the tombstones and, and really as, as funny as that is when you look at somebody's tombstone it's been said that their life their legacy takes up the dash in between the years what's your legacy? what is your legacy? What do you want your legacy to be? How do you want your kids to remember you? What do you want your coworkers to say about you? What do you want the history books to say about you? What is your legacy? And that's what we're going to look at this morning in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, talking about King Uzziah. Now, King Uzziah is a king that many of us are familiar with if you've read the book of Isaiah. He's referenced in in, in the beginning of the book of Isaiah. But here, we're going to hear about who King Uzziah was and what he actually did. And we're going to talk about King Uzziah's legacy and make application to our own hearts and our own lives. So verse 3 is where we're going to start. It says this, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah, She was from Jerusalem. Now Uzziah did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Let's stop right there. Without knowing anything about his father Amaziah, you're going to read that verse and go, yes, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. There's one king that got it right, until you remember back to the story of Amaziah. The king Amaziah did what was right in the the eyes of the Lord, just not with a whole heart. Well, his son Uzziah followed in his footsteps. So he did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God throughout the lifetime of Zechariah, the teacher of the fear of God. During the time that he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So here's a question what does that look like? What does it look like for a king who seeks the Lord to be granted success by God himself? Well, we're told. As we continue reading here in verse 6, it looks like success in dealing with other nations. Uzziah went out to wage war against the Philistines, and he tore down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, the wall of Ashdod. Then he built cities in the vicinity of Ashdod and among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, the Arabians that lived in Gerbel and the Munites. The Ammonites even paid tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for God... Had made him very powerful. What does it look like for King Uzziah to live a life that is successful because God is dumping the success on him? It looks like being strong among the other nations, wiping out the very enemies that stood against him, having uh, success in every battle he went to, and, and, and even getting to the place where countries, in particular, verse 8, the Ammonites, are paying him tribute so that they would leave, he would leave them alone. That's success. And his name spread far because he came, became very strong. So people around the world became aware of the name of Uzziah. And so, so what does it look like that success? It looks like having your name spread far and people knowing that God is dumping into you and that you are a great leader of your army. What else does it look like? Let's continue down. Uzziah, verse 8 built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate the valley gate the corner buttress and he fortified them since he had many cattle both in the Judean foothills and the plain he built towers in the desert and he dug many wells And since he was a lover of the soil, he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and on the fertile land. So so what does it look like to be made successful because of God's blessing in your life? For Uzziah here, it looked like him dealing with his own country and agriculture very well. It looked like him building the walls of defense around his city. The walls that had been torn down when Amaziah went to battle With Jehoahash last week, when he came back and tore down the walls, Uzziah came back and rebuilt those walls. He took uh, dug cisterns, he dug wells, he dug uh, big, huge wells into the limestone that would hold water for the flocks and for the agriculture that were out in the field. He he dressed, let's let's continue, look at verse 11, he dressed this huge army, Uh, actually I'm going to go to verse 13, under their authority was an army of 307,500 equipped for combat, a powerful force to help the king against the enemy. Uzziah provided the entire army with shields, spears, helmets, armor, bows, even slingstones. I mean, he, he from top to bottom, he made sure that his soldiers were well equipped for whatever battle they were going to find themselves in. Whether it meant, here's a sword so that you can go to battle, or here's a little rock to put in your sling so you can throw it at them. I mean, he equipped all of them. Verse 15, he made skillfully designed devices in Jerusalem to shoot arrows and to catapult large stones for use on the towers and on the corners. So so success for Uzziah looked like being a man who was equipping his people for success wherever they were and whatever they were doing. He provided everything they needed. He dressed this huge army. He created these contraptions. Verse 15 talks about his invention there that would allow them to shoot arrows and throw rocks at the enemy safely. And all of these things happened. His fame spread even to distant places. Why? For he was wondrously helped. Wondrously helped. Now, every single one of you probably finished reading that verse. But I want to stay at wondrously helped just for a second. That should have been Uzziah's legacy. When the name of Uzziah comes up, the first thing that comes to mind is, man, that guy has been wondrously helped by God. It's unthinkable the things he was able to accomplish. No other king could possibly have accomplished that. There's no question that God's hand is upon him. His legacy should have been... Wondrously, helped. Everything about his story screams that there's something else going on behind the scenes. Everything about his story points to the fact that he's being helped. You mean you got you have a 16 year old king who's leading his nation into battles. And he's winning over and over and over again. You've got a young man who's able to lead his country's economy in a way that it bolsters both confidence and growth among his people that has, had never been seen up to that point. Something else is going on. His legacy should have been wondrously helped. Then we finish the verse. His fame spread even to distant places because he was wondrously helped until he became strong. Until he became strong. Verse 16 says, When he became strong, he grew arrogant, and it led to his own destruction. Then we get the story of what that looks like here. He acted unfaithfully against the Lord his God by going into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense on the incense altar. Now, that's a huge no-no. Nobody uh, that is not of the lineage of Aaron in the priesthood was allowed to enter into the sanctuary to offer an offering of incense. Nobody. Nobody. It was, it was against the rules. You're the king. That's great. You stay in your place. The priests of the lineage of Aaron, they're the ones who are to come in and are to offer the incense. But, but somehow in Uzziah's mind, he got it through his thick skull that he was good enough to do this. It was his right to do this. Why? Because he had become strong. And so he acted unfaithfully and he went into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense. Let me read this and then let's, let's walk through it a little bit. Verse 17. The priest, Azariah, Along with 80 brave priests of the Lord went in after him and they took their stand against King Uzziah and they said, Uzziah, you have no right to offer incense to the Lord. Only the consecrated priests, the descendants of Aaron have the right to offer incense. You leave the sanctuary because you have acted unfaithfully. You will not receive honor from the Lord God. So, so here is this incredibly brave priest, Azariah, who comes and stands in the face of the king of the kingdom. Who's, who's entered into the sanctuary with his incense, with the intent of bringing an offering that he's not equipped, he's not cleansed, he is not called to bring, but somehow in his mind he has thought, I'm good enough to do this. And the priests pursue Uzziah as he enters the sanctuary. And it's interesting, it says it's not just the, the high priest Azariah, but it's also 80 brave priests. If you're about to go confront the king, you got to have a little courage. So, 80 brave priests, along with the high priest, they, they, they chased after Uzziah and, like, What do you think you're doing? You need to leave here. Everything that you're doing is breaking the law of God. You've acted unfaithfully. You need to go. How does Uzziah respond? Verse 19 Uzziah, holding a fire pan in his hand, which is the instrument used to offer incense, was enraged. So here you have it again in one of these kings, acting unfaithfully in the eyes of God, being disobedient, arrogant, having someone confront him, and instead of responding with humility, responding with rage and arrogance. That word enraged is actually used in the book of Jonah when it talks about how the sea became just. just enraged. And they were trying to figure out what's happening. We need to get rid of the person who's causing this storm. That's the picture here. to froth. Uzziah was so angry, he frothed. And as the priests confronted him and he became enraged, God got his attention. See as the story goes, the priests come, and what are you doing? You can't be here. You're acting unfaithfully before God. You need to get out of here. And 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 Uzziah is holding the the pan that he's gonna bring the incenses, and it says he's enraged, and as they turn and look at each other, God goes, (laughs) I don't know if that's what it sounds like when leprosy pops out on your forehead, but we can use our imagination, right? That would be terrifying. (laughs) But that's the picture. He's fine. He's, he's had success in everything he's done. God's hand has been upon him, and now he can do this. I know I can do this. And he comes into this place, and he begins to bring the incense, and the priest is like, no, no, no. And he turns around, and he's like, what? And as he turns, poof, leprosy bursts on his forehead. Now, for you and I, that's, well, for anybody, honestly, that's a weird thing. But for you and I, we're not super familiar with, with leprosy. There's a lot of... Um, conjecture as to what what this actually was in Uzziah's forehead. We're not exactly sure. What we know is it's a general term that is used for any severe skin disease. And the fact that he was now ceremonially unclean, not just because he was the king, but now he was visibly unclean ceremonially unclean because of the leprosy. It, it changed the dynamic even more. So much so that it says right here that when he was enraged and the skin disease broke out in his head, verse 20, when all the priests turned to him and saw that he was diseased on his forehead, they rushed him out of there. He himself also hurried to get out because the Lord had afflicted him. Everything changed in that moment. You have this arrogant king who is enraged. And as he turns around, the leprosy arrives on his forehead. And you can imagine the 80 brave priests and the high priests seeing that. And, and everything changed. Where instead of it's, you need to get out of here. Now it's, oh no. And so they rush him out of the temple as fast as they can. Why? You can have no interaction with a person who has leprosy. In fact, Leviticus chapter 13 says this to us. The person who has leprosy is to have his clothes torn, his hair hanging loose, and he must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean, And he will remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. Everything changed in that moment for Uzziah. Now he is removed, not just from the temple, not just from the tabernacle, not just from the presence of God. Now he is placed outside the camp and he can have nothing to do with the people from his country, all because of his arrogance. And any time a person might come near to him, he is legally obligated by the law of God to make this declaration, uh, unclean, stay away. I mean, so many of us today are wrestling with colds or sickness, right? And so you walk up and give him a handshake and you're like, hey, let's just, you know, elbows, how about that? that that's similar. unclean, sorry, man, I'm unclean. This is way different. He can't go home. He's been ostracized forever. What, what I want you to see, starting in verse 21, is what his legacy has become. His legacy should have been marvelously helped, wondrously helped. Verse 21, King Uzziah was diseased until the time of his death. And he lived in quarantine with leprosy, this serious skin disease, was excluded from access to the Lord's temple while his son Jotham was over the king's household governing the people. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, wrote about the rest of the events of Uzziah's reign from the beginning to end. And Uzziah he rested with his fathers. He was buried with his fathers in the burial ground of the king's cemetery. And they said this of him He has a skin disease. And that's the story of Uzziah. How it ends. Uzziah's legacy should have been, man, that guy has just been helped by God. That would have been a great thing to put on his tombstone, wouldn't it? Wondrously helped, marvelously helped by God. But instead. The thing written on his tombstone was Uzziah. He was a leper. What happened? How, how did he fall so far? I, I want to give you just a couple of quick suggestions. If you look at verse 5, what you see is that we're told during the time that, that Uzziah sought the Lord, God gave him success. In Uzziah's life, at some point, he stopped pursuing God. That idea behind pursuing or seeking God is a picture of investigating. It's a picture of examining, of searching out, of turning over every stone to seek with with care, to seek with genuine concern. You are looking for something or someone you have lost, something or someone that is incredibly precious to you. And nothing is going to stop you from searching until it's found. This is a a stupid illustration, but maybe it'll give you the the feeling in your heart. It's it's getting ready to go on your your, your, um, honeymoon. You've got the tickets all purchased, and this is long before. (laughs) This is a personal story if you can't tell. This is long before uh, electronic tickets. You had to have your tickets printed out ahead of time. And my wife and I, married, we were getting ready to... We're getting ready to fly to the Bahamas because we're beach people. Not even close. But it seemed like the right thing to do in your honeymoon, right? So we got our tickets all printed out, and we had them set aside, and and the wedding was done. And as, as it was really interesting, our story goes, my wife got so sick after the wedding, just from the buildup of stress. I mean, Just. It was crazy how sick she was. I'm thinking, we're not even going to go on our honeymoon. We're just going to end up going home. And then, then she, she, she got better the night before. I was like, all right, we're going to go. And so that morning, we packed everything up, and we loaded up the car. We were headed, getting ready to go to the Philadelphia International Airport. As we're getting ready to go, we get down to the car. We're heading down. I'm like, hey, you got the tickets? She's like, no, you got the tickets? <laughs> Great. I unpacked my bag completely. And couldn't find them. Um, this is before you have to be there two hours early. Which we're thankful for. Because I was the last one on the plane. Because I had to turn everything inside out to find those dumb tickets. But there was no chance I was going to stop looking. You pursue God like that? Have you... Sought him like that this morning? Is At the end of your day, can it be said that you've looked for God like something you must have with every ounce of your energy? Our seeking needs to be con- constant and unwavering. It needs to be life-dominating. Our seeking of God must not be dependent upon circumstances. When we're weak and things go bad, and this sounds awful, but it's true, when things go difficult, we tend to seek God way more consistently in that moment than when things are good. We tend to be great, poor weather seekers When the storms rise up, we cry out to God with everything we have, Lord, and please don't take insult to this unless it's the Holy Spirit putting his finger in your heart, then be insulted because it's him, not me. Some of the reason many of you are here this morning is because your life is upside down and you feel like, I just need to be at church and find God. Your seeking of God cannot be based on circumstances. Your seeking of God can't be based on the fact that it's simply going horrible for you right now. Uzziah at 16 was seeking God and experienced the full blessing and success that God had offered him. But at some point, everything got good and he stopped seeking. And he reaped the results, the consequences of no longer seeking God when he thought he had it all figured out. Let that be a warning to all of us. Who who this morning we woke up and got that extra hour of sleep and everything just looked a little better. He felt a little healthier today. You had a good hair day, whatever it might be. Don't stop seeking God just because things are good. You must seek God constantly, and you must seek God while it is today. There's something really important about that. For many of us, we've gotten to the place where we're living off the effects of yesterday's seeking. Man, when I was 20, 21 years old and our kids were little, man, I was in the word and in the word and I was being uh, used by God in my local church and I was serving God and I was talking about the gospel with my neighbors when I was 20, 21 years old. Now I'm 40, 41, 50, 51, 60 or north. I've already done my time. No, you haven't. We are to seek God with consistency and constancy like our very lives depend on it because they do. You need to seek God while it's today. You can't depend on yesterday's seeking. You need to seek God while it's today, not not procrastinating thinking, I'm gonna get to that tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm gonna start a Bible reading program. No, you're not. Start it today. Right? Right? I mean, think about it. Tomorrow, I'm going to break up really early, 30 minutes early, and I'm going to start a Bible reading program. At least 80% of us that say that today will sleep in that extra 45 minutes tomorrow, run late, and never open the Word. Stop procrastinating. Seek God while it is today. The problem with Uzziah started because he stopped seeking God. The problem with Uzziah came as a result of him thinking he was the source of his own strength. Proverbs uh, 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. An arrogant spirit before the fall. Our pride can deceive us into thinking we've got it all figured out. And I don't need to ask anybody else any questions. I know what I'm doing. I know what's best. I don't need your opinion. I have a pretty good opinion myself. I, I have the book that explains all of it. So instead of relying on God... We rely on ourselves. Our pride deceives us into thinking we have it all figured out and deceives us into thinking we can do whatever we want. Now, I've lived a good life. I've got a, a, a life, a reputation that is marked by integrity, so I can do whatever I want. I can get away with whatever I want. None of these laws apply to me because, you know, I just keep doing these things and everything's going okay and You know, the other shoe hasn't dropped yet, so I should be fine. That that, that violates clearly the principle that's given to us in Galatians 6 of sowing and reaping. You plant apple seeds, you don't um, um, pick grapefruits. What you put in the ground is what you get. And it may not seem like that right this second, but you keep sowing the same fruit. and, And God says, I will not be mocked. You can't pull a fast one on me. What you put in the ground is what you're going to Pull out of the ground, but our pride deceives us into thinking we can do whatever we want, and that is true in the life of Uzziah. Uzziah's pride deceived him into thinking he was something. Man, may God protect us from that. May God protect us from thinking like the little child thinks when he goes out to the car and dad's dad's changing the windshield wipers on the car. The little child comes out to offer his assistance. You know how that goes, right? That takes a 15-minute job and makes it, you know, 45, 50 minutes long. And then you get back into the house, and, and mom, I don't know, she's in the house. and like, oh, how did it go? And the little munchkin looks at mom and says, I changed the windshield wipers. No, you didn't. I had to pull you out of traffic three times. May God protect us from that mindset, thinking that we're something, I don't remember who said it. It's a beautiful visual. I wish I could find one that I liked. But but. if you're walking in a field and you find a turtle on top of a fence post, something should go through your mind. That little dude had some help. Turtles can't climb fences, they certainly can't leap. The only way that turtle got up there is if somebody helped him get on top of that fence post. Folks, you and I, I like the turtle. What we have in front of us has been given to us. If not by people who have gone before us, by the giver of good gifts. See, the, the, the story and the legacy of the one who is in Jesus Christ is the same story and legacy that should have been true of Uzziah. You have been wondrously helped. That's what we gather together each Sunday to be reminded of, that that right now we stand before God forgiven and at peace because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And and, and today in particular, we have the opportunity to come and remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as we look at the picture he left for us that was intended for us to remember. As we look this morning, as we take communion together, we look at the, the crackers and the juice, what we're reminded of is, is Jesus' broken body for us. Jesus shed blood for us. And the, the reminder that what we couldn't do, the Son of God did for us. He lived a life that was perfect. And then he died in our place on the cross. And then he brought us to peace with God, something that you and I could never have accomplished on our own. And he did all that while we were still sinners. And when Jesus rose again on the third day, it became abundantly clear that his death, his burial, his resurrection was the ultimate victory over Satan, was the ultimate victory over sin, was the ultimate victory over death. What Christ accomplished on the cross for us is is, is this beautiful picture. It's this beautiful reality, and it's this beautiful hope. Because one day soon, the return of Christ will make it clear to every single one of us who is in Jesus Christ that his sacrifice was enough. Our song throughout all of eternity will not be, look how good I am! Our song through eternity better be and will be how wondrously helped I am. How Jesus has lifted me, placed me on the fence post. That's the wonder of the cross. That's the help that God has offered to you. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to encourage you to, to leave your seat and, and head to one of the tables that has the elements. And we have three in the front, three in the back there. We're going to encourage you to, to head to those tables and receive your elements and bring them back to your seats. And we're going to play a little music. And then there's a, a song that will be sung that will speak directly about what we're doing together this morning as we remember Christ Christ finished work on the cross. As you look at the broken cracker and the juice, remember, this isn't your own doing. This is the body of Christ broken for your sins. This is the blood of Christ spilled for your rebellion against God. And through his sacrifice, we have peace. What wonderful help we've received from God. Let's pray to God. Father, thank you for your word and how true it is for today. Thank you, Father, that um, you've given us pictures like Uzziah to be reminded of, of what it is we have in you, to warn us of, of what we're really in danger of. God, protect us from becoming arrogant, protect us from thinking that we've accomplished something that is actually you. Lord, forgive us. We're pushing you out of the way. And today, as we look at this picture, this picture of your broken body and your shed blood, I ask, Lord, that you would uh, awaken our hearts, cause us to be reminded of, of how good your sacrifice is for us and at, at our standing before you now being peace and reconciled forever. Father, I pray that he would remind us yet again of the help that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. For it's in his good name I pray. Amen.